Thank you so much, Brother Wayne. Church family, why don't you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. And this morning at the end of the service, we can all say proudly that we've studied half of 1 Timothy together, but six chapters there, and today we'll reach the, uh, the halfway mark. A few weeks ago, we began this series uh, with the first sermon titled, Getting It Right. And what we saw was that the Apostle Paul, nearly a 30-year veteran in the ministry, wanted to share uh, his expertise, right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, sharing with his young son and protege in the faith, Timothy, um, what was important in the life of the church. And so in the opening chapter of this epistle, he talks about the importance of sound doctrine, the true purpose of Christian preaching, and he warns him against false teachers as well. Now, if you were here last Sunday, I preached a sermon titled, What Kind of Church does God bless? And we saw from 1 Timothy chapter 2, God bless the church that prays, a church that shares the gospel, a church that behaves, and a church that stands on the Word of God. Today we're in chapter 3, and instead of asking what kind of church does God bless, we're going to look at the contents of this chapter, and more personally, we're going to ask the question, what kind of person does God bless? And so if you have any desire in your heart to live a life that honors God, this is a sermon for you. If there's any notion in your being that says, I want to be the kind of person God wants me to be, then this chapter is a good chapter for you. What kind of person um, does God bless? Why don't you look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read it. It's not a long chapter. It takes two or three minutes to read. Let's read it together, and then we'll answer the question, what kind of person does God bless? Verse 1 says this, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the, t uh, the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, verse 8 changes gears a little bit. Notice with me. Deacons, likewise, and all the deacons in the room sat up a little bit, but tried not for anyone to notice. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul says in verse 14, changing gears a final time, I hope to come to you soon, but... And here we find really a great key to understanding the book of 1 Timothy and what it's really all about. I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, 
and taken up in glory. This is God's word, brothers and sisters, and all of God's people said, amen. This is a passage of scripture that's all about the qualifications to be a pastor or to be a deacon. And so how can we construe from that that this is a passage of scripture about being the sort of person that God blesses? Well, really with only one exception, which is to say pastors are, are, are said here in this passage, they need to be able to teach, okay? That's not required of every child of God. It's not even required of deacons. It's just required of pastors. And I think for reasons that should be obvious to us, right? Because the pastor's going to spend a lot of time teaching. They need to have that ability. So aside from that one exception, did you know everything on this list of qualifications, be it for the overseers, which is just another word for pastor, or for the deacons, is really something that ought to be true, at least in principle form, of every child of God. Right? There's a sense in which this passage says, okay, for pastors and deacons, they must be these things. What's not stated here, but which is equally true is, for all Christians, we should be those things. Okay, there's not a qualification to be a Christian other than you believe in Jesus. There are qualifications to serve the church in a leadership capacity, but what must be true of the pastors and deacons should be true of each one of you as well. It's just that God's, hold for, God, God's word holds forth the pastor and the deacon with their qualifications as exemplary. Here's a good example of what it should look like for a person to be a real Christian. That's what this list is, with the one exception of, of being able to teach. This passage of Scripture is kind of like the cover on a puzzle box. Anybody put any puzzles together recently? Well, as you're trying to find which piece goes where, you're constantly looking back at the cover, right, the box that it came in because you want to see what the picture looks like when it's all put together. That's what this list of qualifications is. It's a picture of the kind of person we're all called to be. The standards are the same. What must be true of the leadership should be true of the membership. And so this passage provides a wonderful template for us of uh, what it looks like to be a child of God. So let's ask the question this morning, with our time that remains, what kind of person should I be? What kind of person does God bless? And to do that, we're going to look particularly at verses 8 through the rest of the chapter. They provide a good example for us of the kind of person that God blesses. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the first answer. Hey, we're going to offer six answers to this question. What kind of person does God bless? Number one, a person of character. Every child of God, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. We want Jesus to be working on us every day until the day we die. We should be people of character. Verse 8 says, dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. We can interpret those phrases very simply by saying we ought to be people of character. Character matters and character counts. And especially, especially so in the house of God. Rick Warren said it well. People are impressed by talent, but God is impressed by character. Brothers and sisters, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you have or you don't think you have accomplished. You can be a person of character. And that's precisely what God has called you to be. Dignified. That's somebody who takes their faith seriously. Right? doesn't mean take yourself too seriously, but you take your faith seriously. Not double-tongued. That means honest, consistent. Well, what a graphic image of a person with two tongues. And they use one if they're talking to this group of people and a different one if they're talking to this group of people. The Bible has other words for that, like hypocrite. Right? We, would, we would call that a poser or a pretender. Not addicted to much wine. Sober and self-controlled. Drunkenness and addiction are always sinful. We ought to take note of that. Not greedy for dishonest gain. 
which is to say trustworthy when it comes to handling property or when it comes to handling money. Adrian Rogers used to say when he was preaching on this subject that uh, if God hasn't touched a man's wallet, he hasn't touched his heart. Honest, not a cheat, generous, giving toward the things of God, a person of character. What kind of person does God bless? Let me share with you secondly, as a person of conviction. Conviction. Verse 9 says we ought to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, which, which simply is to say faithfulness in what we believe and uh, in how we behave. Conviction is that idea of belief, strong, true belief. What's a person of conviction? Let me tell you, a person of conviction doesn't have to tell you what they believe. Some people are really good at telling you what they do and they don't believe. A person of conviction just believes it and lives it, right? So you can, you can preach all day long about what's right or what's wrong, but are you a person of conviction? Well, let's see how you behave. That'll tell you. A lot, a lot of people think about our beliefs and our behavior, and they say, oh, well, they're related. Sure, they're like cousins, what we believe and how we behave. I'd say they're a lot more than just cousins. They're conjoined twins, each feels the push and the pull of the other. What we believe, how we behave. We must be people of conviction. Let me tell you, if you say, oh, I believe this or I believe that, but then you go out and you live a different way, you don't really believe it, right? And it doesn't necessarily make you a liar. It does mean that you're deceived. And so let's be honest with ourselves this morning. Does the way that I behave line up well with the things that I say I believe? And if so, you're a person of conviction. Let me share with you thirdly, a person of confidence is the kind of person that God blesses. Now, again, speaking of qualifications for deacons, in verse number 10, God's word says, let them be tested first and prove themselves blameless. There's an idea there. Now, that's a qualification for a deacon, but there's an idea there for all the rest of us. That is this, right? If we're, if we're living the kind of life God has called us to live, we are people in whom a church can place confidence, right? A person of confidence in the way that I'm using the phrase here, I don't mean you're confident. I mean other people are confident in you, in your belief, they say, hey, that's a good person right there. I know them. They, they live a life that backs up the way they act when they're at church. They're a person of confidence, trustworthy, dependable, faithful. And when it really matters, they will do the right thing. I really see the idea of integrity here. Put it to you this way. Have you ever met somebody and, and you thought to yourself, man, I, 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 I like that guy. That's a good person. And then the longer you get to know them, the less you think about them. Right? That's, that's their lack of integrity shining through. It just took a little while. Or have you ever met somebody and the first time you meet them, I don't know, maybe they were unassuming, maybe you got off on the wrong foot and you thought, I don't think too much of them. But as time passes, as you have the opportunity to go through things together, you learn, you know, that person's all right. I misjudged them. I was wrong. That's their integrity shining through. And our hope is that as God molds us more and more into the image of Christ in our lives, we are the kind of people with integrity leading the way in whom our church family can place a great confidence. What kind of person does God bless? Let me share with you fourthly, a person of commitment. Commitment. Again, we're looking at the qualifications for leadership in the church, but we're, extract, we're extracting from that principles that really apply to all of God's people. And what we read here in verse 12 is this phrase, let them be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. What's that mean for you? I, I don't know of anyone here this morning who's put in an application to be a deacon or a pastor here at this church. So what's that mean for you? If you're married, you ought to be a good spouse faithful spouse. If, if you have a family, you ought to be a good, godly family member, somebody that your family can count on. The truest test of a person's walk with Christ is what those who are closest to them say about them. That's the truest test. 
test. Yesterday, uh, my family and I were excited to watch the Braves game. Uh, they come on a little after 7 o'clock, but it's what's called Alumni Weekend. And so they invite all these uh, players from yesteryear to come in and, and have a good time together. And they also induct a few famous Braves players or coaches into the Atlanta Braves Hall of Fame. Yesterday, a uh, longtime assistant of coach, Leo Mazzoni. Does that name ring a bell for, for any of y'all? He was the pitching coach uh, for the Braves uh, back in the um, 90s into the early 2000s. Anyways, he always sat in the dugout and kind of rocked back and forth. That was Leo Mazzoni. He coached some of the best pitchers. He coached three different pitchers that are in the Hall of Fame now. Okay, Awesome uh, pitching coach. He, he made a comment um, about Bobby Cox. Bobby Cox is, is the Hall of Fame manager, is the head coach for the Braves for years and years. Here's what he said as he was accepting that honor of being inducted into the Atlanta Braves Hall of Fame. Here's what he said about Bobby Cox, a man that he knew as well as anyone else. He said, next to my dad, he's the greatest man I've ever known. That's remarkable. I mean, he, he reported to Bobby Cox. He worked for him. He knew him as well as anyone knew him. Now, we might look back and say, oh, what a great coach. They were always winning the division. In 95, they won the World Series. Yeah, but what do the people close to that coach say? Well, Leo Mazzoni said he's the greatest man right there with my dad that I've ever known. If we're going to be a person of commitment, it matters most closest to home. Your home, your immediate family, your closest friends, the people you work with every day, that's where it counts. It really doesn't matter what I think about you. It matters what those people think about you because that's a true measure of commitment. Let me share with you fifthly this morning, what kind of person does God bless? A person of the church. You know, with the apostle Paul, it always comes back to the church. Paul loved the church. Let me tell you this. We know he wrote 13 different books of our New Testament. And so if the church was important to him, clearly it's important to all of God's word. Notice in verse 14 and 15, right? Paul's sort of wrapping up this chapter, this section of the, the first half of the letter that he's written here to 1 Timothy. And, he, and he, he, he explains to him, listen, I'm writing all these things to you just in case if I'm not able to get there and be with you in person, I need you to know how to conduct yourselves in the household of God, which is the church. It's all about the church for Paul. It's always the church. Yesterday afternoon, I found myself getting ready to come to church. Now you say, well, that's a little early, isn't it? Well, not if you're excited about it. I asked my little girl, I was just humoring her. I said, Delaney, you help daddy pick out an outfit for church. We got ready. We, we steamed my outfit for church. I was just ready. I was ready. And I was thinking, you know, I'm going to church tomorrow. It's not a question Am I going to church tomorrow? But see, that, that is a question for a lot of people. A lot of church members. Will we go to church tomorrow? And for a lot of people, the answer is, yeah, we'll, I will go to church. If I'm in town. I'll be there at church unless I had a really stressful week and this weekend is more than I thought it would be and I'm really tired. I need to catch up before the week starts again. Yeah, I'll be in church unless something else comes up. Now, listen, we get sick from time to time. I understand that. And, and, and we work hard taking a vacation every now and That's great, sure. But we need to be the kind of person who doesn't ask, am I going to church this week? You know, before our service started, I was talking with one of our members, and they said, Brother Deke, my dog has started doing the, uh, the strangest thing. Every Sunday morning when we go to church, we, we put her up and we put her in this little kennel, right? So they don't run around free. And they said that the dog, all on their own, around 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, goes and puts itself in the kennel. I wonder how many of you, if you had a dog like that, would your dog be trained that well? A person of the church. Notice with me finally, what kind of person does God bless? A person of Christ. And I just am so grateful for the way that this chapter ends. This is a chapter that could easily devolve into a works-based kind of a faith because it's a chapter all about how we behave, 
right? All these characteristics of, well, do you add up or not? Are you exemplary in your faith? And the chapter ends with words about Jesus. Notice how the chapter ends in verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then what follows, most commentators believe, is a form of a poem or even maybe an ancient Christian hymn that a lot of people in the church would have known or recited together or perhaps even sung. He was manifested in the flesh. Who was manifested in the flesh? Jesus. Right at the end of, of, of a chapter, the, the entirety of which is spent on ex, sort of exalting a person who might rise to be a pastor or a deacon, and the chapter ends, hang, hang on, this is about Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. That's a reference to his resurrection, right? So in this short little poem, we've heard Jesus came to the world. He died to pay for our sins and was vindicated by the Spirit, made to come back to life. All that we have said today in response to the question of what kind of person does God bless, it's rooted, it is grounded, it starts right here. Jesus died so that you could be a child of God. Jesus died on the cross so that you could, you could be the person that God wants you to be. It's not about your performance. It's about Jesus and his awesome sacrifice. And so you have, you have a list here, six answers to our question. What kind of person does God bless? Well, just go through the list. Take, uh, take stock of your own heart, of your walk with Christ. Ask yourself this question, am I this kind of person? And I think if our hearts are humble and we're walking with Jesus, our response to that question will never be, well, I sure am. I think our response will be, God knows me. I God knows the areas where I need to work on some things. God knows my heart. And we let God work where his spirit's wind is blowing in our lives. Let me invite you, if you would, to bow your heads. If you're here this morning and there's something in your life for which you feel a little sense of conviction... Or you feel a little guilty today. I want to tell you, we read from the book of Joel earlier in our service that if we cry out to God, we find that he's gracious and slow to anger. We just looked at a passage of scripture that told us all about how we're supposed to live. If you're here today and you say, you know, I don't add up. I'm not the kind of person we just read about. Friend, that's why Jesus came. And that's why he died, to pay for your sins. Maybe this morning as we have a time of invitation, you want to come and kneel and just say, God, help me to be this kind of person. Help me to be the kind of person we've read about today. Maybe there's one particular area and you really feel like the Spirit's got his finger right there in your life. I want to invite you in a moment to come to this altar and just surrender yourself Make a commitment. Be humble and say, God, I know where you're working in my life. Lord, help me. Help me, God, right there. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, Jesus loves you and he died on the cross to pay for your sins. Accept him today. Repent of your sins and give your heart to Jesus. It will be the greatest thing you have ever done. Father in heaven, we ask for your blessing in this time in our service where we want to respond. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves. Lord, help our hearts to be soft and our ears to be open that we might sense however you're moving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you, if you would, to stand.